Volume One, Chapter Eleventh of the Antiquary. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Antiquary by Sir Walter Scott, Chapter Eleventh. Sometimes he thinks that heaven this pageant sent and ordered all the pageants as they went. Sometimes that only twas wild fancy's play, the loose and scattered relics of the day. We must now request our readers to adjourn to the breakfast parlour of Mr. Oldbuck, who, despising the modern slops of tea and coffee, was substantially regaling himself, mora majorum, with cold roast beef, and a glass of a sort of beverage called mum, a species of fat ale, brewed from weed and bitter herbs, of which the present generation only know the name by its occurrence in revenue acts of Parliament coupled with cider, perry, and other excisable commodities. Lovell, who was seduced to taste it, with difficulty refrained from pronouncing it detestable, but did refrain, as he saw he should otherwise give great offence to his host, who had the liquor annually prepared with peculiar care, according to the approved recipe bequeathed to him by the so often mentioned Aldobrand Oldenbuck. The hospitality of the ladies offered Lovell a breakfast more suited to modern taste, and while he was engaged in partaking of it, he was assailed by indirect inquiries concerning the manner in which he had passed the night. "'We canna compliment Mr. Lovell on his looks this morning, brother, but he wouldn't condescended on any ground of disturbance he has had in the night-time. I'm certain he looks very pale, and when he came here he was as fresh as a rose.' Why, sister, consider this rose of yours has been knocked about by sea and wind all yesterday evening, as if he had been a bunch of kelp or tangle, and how the devil would you have him retain his colour? I certainly do still feel somewhat fatigued, said Lovell, notwithstanding the excellent accommodations with which your hospitality so amply supplied me. Ah, sir, said Miss Oldbuck, looking at him with a knowing smile, or what was meant to be one. "'You'll not allow any inconvenience out of civility to us.' "'Really, madam,' replied Lovell, "'I had no disturbance, for I cannot term such the music with which some kind fairy favoured me. "'I doubted Mary would waken ye with her scrying. "'She didn't ken I had left open a chink of your window, for, for by the geist, "'the green moon doesn't vent wheel in a high wind. "'But I am judging ye heard more than Mary's lilt yestreen.' Well, Men are hardy creatures. They can guy through with anything. I am sure, had I been undergo anything of that nature, that's to say, that's beyond nature, I would I scryed out at once, and raise the house, be the consequent what like it. And I dare say the minister what I done as mickle, and so I told him, I ken nobody but my brother Monk Barms himself would guy through the like of it, if indeed it been a you, Mr. Lovell. A man of Mr. Oldbuck's learning, madam, answered the question party, would not be exposed to the inconvenience sustained by the Highland gentleman you mentioned last night. Aye, aye, ye understand now where the difficulty lies. Language. He has ways of his ain, would banish I that sort of worry cows as far as the hindermost parts of Gideon. Meaning possibly Midian. As Mr. Blattergau says, only i wouldn't be uncivil times forbear though he be a geist i'm sure i will try the that receipt to your feathers that she showed me in a book if anybody is to sleep in that room again 
do I think in Christian charity, you should rather fit up the matted room. It's a wee damp and dark to be sure, but then we as I seldom occasion for a spare bed. No, no, sister, dampness and darkness are worse than spectres. Ours are spirits of light, and I would rather have you try the spell. I'll do that rightly, Monkbarns, and I had the ingredients as my cookery book kies them. There was Burbain and Dill, I mind that, Davy Dibble. We'll ken about that, though, maybe he'll guy them Latin names and Han Peppercorn. We are wife them for Hypericon, thou foolish woman, thundered old Buck. Do you suppose you're making a haggis, or do you think that a spirit, though he be formed of air, can be expelled by a recede against wind? This wise grizzle of mine, Mr. Lovell, recollects, with what accuracy you may judge, a charm which I once mentioned to her, and which, happening to hit her superstitious noddle, she remembers better than anything tending to a useful purpose. I may chance to have said for this ten years, that many an old woman besides herself— "'Hide woman, Monkbarns,' said Miss Oldbuck, roused something above her usual submissive tone. "'You really are less than civil to me.' "'Not less than just, Grizzle. However, I include in the same class many a sounding name from Yamblichus down to Aubrey, who have wasted their time in devising imaginary remedies for non-existing diseases.' But I hope, my young friend, that, charmed or uncharmed, secured by the potency of Hypericon, with Vervain and with Dill, that hinder witches of their will, or left disarmed and defenceless to the inroads of the invisible world, you will give another night to the terrors of the haunted apartment, and another day to your faithful and feel friends. I heartily wish I could, but— Nay, but me no buts. I have set my heart upon it. I am greatly obliged, my dear sir, but look you there now, but again. I hate but. I know no form of expression in which he can appear, that is amiable, excepting as a butt of sack. But is to me a more detestable combination of letters than no itself. No is a surly, honest fellow, speaks his mind rough and round at once. But is a sneaking, evasive half-bred, exceptuous sort of a conjunction, which comes to pull away the cup just when it is at your lips. It does allay the good precedent, fie upon but yet, but yet is as a jailer to bring forth some monstrous malefactor. Well, then, answered Lovell, whose motions were really undetermined at the moment, you shall not connect the recollection of my name with so churlish a particle. I must soon think of leaving Fairport, I am afraid, and I will, since you are good enough to wish it, Take this opportunity of spending another day here. And you shall be rewarded, my boy. First, you shall see John o the Gurnall's grave, and then we'll walk gently along the sands, the state of the tide being first ascertained, for we will have no more Peter Wilkins adventures, no more glum and gallery work. As far as Knockwinnock Castle, and inquire after the old knight and my fair foe, which will be but barely civil, and then— I beg pardon, my dear sir, but perhaps you had better adjourn your visit till to-morrow. I am a stranger, you know. And are, therefore, the more bound to show civility, I should suppose. But I beg your pardon for mentioning a word that perhaps belongs only to a collector of antiquities. I am one of the old school. 
when courtiers galloped o'er four counties the ball's fair partner to behold and humbly hoped she caught no cold why if 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 you thought it would be expected but i believe i had better stay nay nay my good friend i am not so old-fashioned as to press you to what is disagreeable neither it is sufficient that i see there is some remora some cause of delay some mid-impediment which i have no title to inquire into or you are still somewhat tired perhaps i warn i find means to entertain your intellects without fatiguing your limbs i am no friend to violent exertion myself a walk in the garden once a day is exercise enough for any thinking being none but a fool or a fox-hunter would require more well what shall we set about my essay on castramentation but i have that in petto for our afternoon cordial or i will show you the controversy upon ossine's poems between macrib and me and i hold with the acute orcadian he with the defenders of the authenticity the controversy began in smooth oily ladylike terms but is now waxing more sour and eager as we get on it already partakes somewhat of old scaliger's style i fear the rogue will get some scent of that story of ochiltree's but at worst i have a hard repartee for him on the affair of the abstracted antigonus i will show you his last epistle and the scroll of my answer egad it is a trimmer so saying the antiquary opened a drawer and began rummaging among a quantity of miscellaneous papers ancient and modern but it was a misfortune of this learned gentleman as it may be that of many learned and unlearned that he frequently experienced on such occasions what harlequin calls l'embarras des richesses in other words the abundance of his collection often prevented him from finding the article he sought for curse the papers i believe said old buck as he shuffled them to and fro i believe they make themselves wings like grasshoppers and fly away bodily but here in the meanwhile look at that little treasure so saying he put into his hand a case made of oak fenced at the corner with silver roses and studs prithee undo this button said he as he observed lovell fumbling at the clasp he did so the lid opened and discovered a thin quarto curiously bound in black shagreen there mr lovell there's the work i mentioned to you last night the rare quarto of the augsburg confession the foundation at once and the bulwark of the reformation drawn up by the learned and venerable melanchthon defended by the elector of saxony and the other valiant hearts who stood up for their faith even against the front of a powerful and victorious emperor and imprinted by the scarcely less venerable and praiseworthy aldebrand oldenbuck my happy progenitor during the yet more tyrannical attempts of philip the second to suppress at once civil and religious liberty yes sir for printing this work that eminent man was expelled from his ungrateful country and driven to establish his household gods even here at monkbarns among the ruins of papal superstition and domination look upon his venerable effigies mr lovell and respect the honourable occupation in which it presents him as labouring personally at the press for the diffusion of christian and political knowledge and see here his favourite motto 
expressive of his independence and self-reliance, which scorned to owe anything to patronage that was not earned by desert, expressive also of that firmness of mind and tenacity of purpose recommended by Horace. He was indeed a man who would have stood firm, had his whole printing-house, presses, fonts, forms, great and small pica, been shivered to pieces around him. Read, I say, his motto. For each printer had his motto or device when that illustrious art was first practised. My ancestors was expressed, as you see, in the Teutonic phrase, Kunst mach Gunst, that is, skill or prudence, in availing ourselves of our natural talents and advantages, will compel favour and patronage, even where it is withheld from prejudice or ignorance. And that, said Lovell, after a moment's thoughtful silence, that, then, is the meaning of these German words. Unquestionably, you perceive the appropriate application to a consciousness of inward worth, and of eminence in a useful and honourable art. Each printer in those days, as I have already informed you, had his device, his impressa, as I may call it, in the same manner as the doughty chivalry of the age, who frequented tilt and tournament. My ancestor boasted as much in his, as if he had displayed it over a conquered field of battle, though it betokened the diffusion of knowledge, not the effusion of blood. And yet there is a family tradition which affirms him to have chosen it from a more romantic circumstance. And what is that said to have been, my good sir? inquired his young friend. Why, it rather encroaches on my respected predecessor's fame for prudence and wisdom, said Semmel in Salwimimus Omnis. Everybody has played the fool in their turn. It is said my ancestor, during his apprenticeship with the descendant of old Faust, whom popular tradition hath sent to the devil under the name of Faustus, was attracted by a paltry slip of womankind, his master's daughter, called Bertha. They broke rings, or went through some idiotical ceremony, as is usual on such idle occasions as the plighting of a true love-troth. And Aldobrand set out on his journey through Germany, as became an honest hand-worker. For such was the custom of mechanics at that time, to make a tour through the empire, and work at their trade for a time in each of the most eminent towns, before they finally settled themselves for life. It was a wise custom, for, as such travellers were received like brethren in each town by those of their own handicraft, they were sure, in every case, to have the means either of gaining or communicating knowledge. When my ancestor returned to Nuremberg, he said to have found his old master newly dead, and two or three gallant young suitors, some of them half-starved sprigs of nobility, forsooth, in pursuit of the Jungfrau, Bertha, whose father was understood to have bequeathed her a dowry which might weigh against sixteen armorial quarters. But Bertha, not a bad sample of womankind, had made a vow she would only marry that man who would work her father's press. The skill at that time was as rare as wonderful, besides that the expedient rid her at once of most of her gentle suitors, who would have as soon wielded a conjuring wand as a composing stick. Some of the more ordinary typographers made the attempt, but none were sufficiently possessed of the mystery. But I tire you. By no means, pray proceed, Mr. Oldbuck, 
I listen with uncommon interest. Ah, it is all folly. However, Aldobrand arrived in the ordinary dress, as we would say, of a journeyman printer, and conversed with Luther, Melanchthon, Erasmus, and other learned men, who disdained not his knowledge, and the power he possessed of diffusing it, though hid under a garb so homely. But what appeared respectable in the eyes of wisdom, religion, learning, and philosophy, seemed mean, as might readily be supposed, and disgusting, in those of silly and affected womankind. And Bertha refused to acknowledge her former lover, in the torn doublet, skin-cap, clouded shoes, and leathern apron, of a travelling handicraftsman, or mechanic. He claimed his privilege, however, of being admitted to a trial, and when the rest of the suitors had either declined the contest, or made such work as the devil could not read, if his pardon depended on it, all eyes were bent on the stranger. Aldobrand stepped gracefully forward, arranged the types without omission of a single letter, hyphen, or comma, imposed them without deranging a single space, and pulled off the first proof as clear and free from errors as if it had been a triple revise. All applauded the worthy successor of the immortal Faustus. The blushing maiden acknowledged her error, entrusting to the eye more than the intellect, and the elected bridegroom, thenceforward, chose for his impress or device the appropriate words, Skill wins favor. But what is the matter with you? You are in a brown study. Come, I told you this was but trumpery conversation for thinking people, and now I have my hand on the oceanic controversy. I beg your pardon, said Lovell. I am going to appear very silly and changeable in your eyes, Mr. Oldbuck, but you seem to think Sir Arthur might in civility expect a call from me. Pshaw, pshaw, I can make your apology, and if you must leave us so soon as you say, what signifies how you stand in his honour, in his honour's good graces? And I warn you that the essay on castramentation is something prolix, and will occupy the time we can spare after dinner, so you may lose the oceanic controversy if we do not dedicate this morning to it. We will go out to my evergreen bower, my sacred holly-tree yonder, and have it fronda super wiridi. Sing hi-ho, hi-ho, for the green holly, most friendship is feigning, most loving mere folly. But egad, continued the old gentleman, when I look closer at you I begin to think you may be of a different opinion. Amen with all my heart. I quarrel with no man's hobby, if he does not run it a tilt against mine, and, if he does, let him beware his eyes. What say you, in the language of the world and worldlings base, if you can condescend to so mean a sphere, shall we stay or go? In the language of selfishness, then, which is, of course, the language of the world, let us go by all means. Amen, amen, quoth the Earl Marshal answered old buck as he exchanged his slippers for a pair of stout walking-shoes with cutikins as he called them of black cloth he only interrupted the walk by a slight deviation to the tomb of john o the Gurnall, remembered as the last bailiff of the abbey who had resided at monkbarns beneath an old oak tree upon a hillock sloping pleasantly to the south and catching a distant view of the sea over two or three rich enclosures, and the mussel-crag lay a moss-grown stone, and in memory of the departed worthy it bore an inscription 
of which, as Mr. Oldbuck affirmed, though many doubted, the defaced characters could be distinctly traced to the following effect. Here lieth John o ye girnel, earth as ye knit, and hoon ye kernel, it is time ilk wife's hennis clucket, ilk a good manis hearth with barnis was stucket, he deld a bull of air in furletus fiva, for for yahale kirky, and ein for poor manis wivis. You see how modest the author of this sepulchral commendation was. He tells us that honest John could make five furlets, or quarters, as you would say, out of the bowl, instead of four, that he gave the fifth to the wives of the parish, and accounted for the other four to the abbot and chapter, that in his time the wives' hens always laid eggs, and devil thank them if they got one-fifth of the abbey rents, and that honest men's hearths were never unblessed with offspring, in addition to the miracle which they, as well as I, must have considered as perfectly unaccountable. But come on, leave we Jock of the Colonel, and let us jog on to the yellow sands, where the sea, like a repulsed enemy, is now retreating from the ground, on which he gave us battle last night. Thus saying, he led the way to the sands. Upon the links or downs close to them were seen four or five huts inhabited by fishers, whose boats, drawn high upon the beach, lent the odoriferous vapours of pitch melting upon a burning sun, to contend with those of the offals of fish, and other nuisances, usually collected round Scottish cottages. Undisturbed by these complicated steams of abomination, a middle-aged woman, with a face which had defied a thousand storms, sat mending a net at the door of one of the cottages. A handkerchief close bound about her head, and a coat which had formerly been that of a man, gave her a masculine air, which was increased by her strength, uncommon stature, and harsh voice. "'What are ye for the day, your honour? she said, or rather screamed, to old Buck. "'Caller haddocks and whitings, a bannock fluke and a cock-paddle.' "'How much for the bannock fluke and cock-paddle?' demanded the antiquary. Four white shillings and sexpence,' answered the naiad. Four devils and six of their imps,' retorted the antiquary. "'Do you think I am mad, Maggie?' "'And if ye think,' rejoined the virago, setting her arms akimbo, "'that my man and my sons are to guide to the sea in weather like yestreen and the day. "'Sick a sea as it's yet out by, and get nothing for their fish, and we must kite into the bargain, Monk Barnes. "'It's no fish you're buying, it's men's lives.' "'Well, Maggie, I'll bid you fair. "'I'll bid you a shilling for the fluke and the cock-paddle, "'or sixpence, separately. "'And if all your fish are as well paid, "'I think your man, as you call him, and your sons, "'will make a good voyage.' "'Dig in their boat was knock it against the bell-rock, rather. "'It would be better, and the bonnier voyage I the twa. "'A shilling for tie twa bonny fish. "'Oid, that's ain indeed.' "'Well, well, you old beldam. "'Carry your fish up to Monkbarns "'and see what my sister will give you for them.' "'Nay, nay, Monkbarns, day if it, "'I'll rather deal with yourself. "'For though you are near enough, "'yen Miss Grizzle has an uncrew close grip. "'I'll give you them,' in a softened tone, for three and sixpence. Eighteen pence, or nothing. Eighteen pence!' "'In a loud tone of astonishment,' which declined into a sort of rueful whine, 
when the dealer turned as if to walk away. "'Yell no be for the fish, then!' Then louder, as she saw him moving off, "'I gay ye them, and, and a half-dozen o' partons to make the sauce, for three shillings and a dram.' "'Half a crown, then, Maggie, and a dram.' "'I will. Yarn in my head, shrine gate, nigh doubt. But a dram's worth silver now. The distilleries is no workin.' "'And I hope they'll never work again in my time,' said old Buck. "'Ay, ay, it's easy for your honour and the like a you gentlefolks to say, say, that high stouth and wrath and fire and fendin' and meat and cloth and sit dry and canny by the fireside. But I knew wanted fire and meat and dry cloths and were dealing a cowed and had a sire heart, woke as worst of I, with just two pinch in your pouch. Wouldn't you be glad to buy a dram wit? to be idling in cries and a supper and heart's ease into the bargain, till the morn's morning. It's even too true an apology, Maggie. Is your good man off to sea this morning, after his exertions last night? In troth is he, Monkbarns. He was away this morning by four o'clock, when the sea was working like barm with yesterday's wind, and our bit cobble dancing in it like a cork. Well, he's an industrious fellow, "'Carry the fish up to Monkbarns.' "'That I will. "'Where I'll send it to Ginny. "'She'll run faster. "'But I'll call on Miss Grizzy "'for the drive myself, "'and say you sent me.' "'A nondescript animal, "'which might have passed for a mermaid, "'as it was paddling in a pool among the rocks, "'was summoned ashore "'by the shrill screams of its dam, "'and having been made decent, "'as her mother called it, which was performed by adding a short red cloak to a petticoat, which was at first her sole covering, and which reached scantily below her knee. The child was dismissed with the fish in a basket, and a request on the part of Monkbarns that they might be prepared for dinner. "'It would have been long,' said old Buck, with much self-complacency, "'ere my womankind could have made such a reasonable bargain with that old skinflint, though they sometimes wrangle with her for an hour together under my study window, like three seagulls screaming and sputtering in a gale of wind. But come, wend we on our way to Knockwinnock. End chapter 11th